Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. It's hard to imagine being part of an institution with that kind of age attached to it. You know, that, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking 150 years I can't imagine what our founders would think about this current predicament, uh, the, the, the coronavirus and, and all of the different uh, dilemmas that it has created. Um, of course, they wouldn't have known many of the things that we know today, and so they probably would think we're all crazy for, uh, for locking ourselves in our homes, but, uh, but we've learned a lot in 150 years. But I, I was thinking about what 150 years ago must have looked like in our community. In 1870, the... Uh, our community was in the middle of rebuilding after the devastation caused by, by, the, uh, by the Civil War. Uh, we were in a time called Reconstruction in which, um, in which the southern states were trying to figure out how to integrate into the, into, reintegrate into the, into the Union. And so you were in this time of social upheaval, of, of dramatic uh, race, racism uh, through the Ku Klux, as the Ku Klux Klan was, was founded. And, and you have all of these, um, all these societal upheavals that, that sort of took place during that season. Yet in the middle of that time, there was a small group of people that started meeting in homes here in the Chattanooga Valley. And it lit a spark that would eventually become Chattanooga Valley Baptist church. They would have needed to light a spark because it would be another decade before the light bulb was invented to provide a light and another 70 years before TVA was in the process of sending electricity into what was one of the poorest regions of the country at the time. When you just consider the world events that our church has endured from the Great Depression sandwiched between two bloody world wars We've sent our members literally around the world, some with guns, some with Bibles, in the course of the last 150 years. Our church has witnessed and benefited from remarkable technological innovations. Shortly after our church was founded, Alexander Graham Bell patented the first telephone. Today, you're likely using a computer that fits in your pocket that masks itself as a telephone. Seven years after our founding, Thomas Edison invented the phonograph, which meant that people had, for the first time in history, the ability to, to make recordings and replay those recordings at a later date. Today, at this very moment, the audio and video from this service can be picked up anywhere around the world, and I suspect it could be picked up in places off the world if they had a strong enough satellite connection. Think about that. Instantaneously, we are able to send audio and video literally to the ends of the earth. You know, it, it brings the Great Commission into laser-sharp focus when you hear Jesus say, take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and, and we are the first generation in history who are able to literally send the gospel to the ends of the earth using the technological means at our disposal. While we gather today, we do so under the, uh, under the cover of another threat, the COVID-19 pandemic has taken its toll. I think it's safe to say that it's affected each of us deeply, many in different ways. Some of us have walked through this pandemic 
having a firsthand experience of the danger represented by the virus, whether we've tasted, whether we've had the disease or we know someone and love someone who has. Some of us have even lost loved ones and friends to this virus. Some of us have tasted the economic cost associated with this bug through job loss and furloughs and pay reductions. All of us have experienced the social cost, whether through months of isolation or simply missing the warm embrace of a precious friend when you gather for church on Sunday. I was laughing last week. I'm not a very physical person. I'm not a touchy-feely person. If people come to hug me, I kind of I kind of kind of go into a fetal position. That's just me. Uh, you know, I, I don't know why, but I know that some of y'all are huggers, and, and y'all are hurting right now. And so I'm all right. Uh, some of y'all are hurting. Uh, but, uh, and, and so that, that cost is, is real, and, and we certainly understand that. Sadly, we don't have a very clear end in sight. We don't know when this is going to come to a close. Is it when there's a vaccine? And many have said, I'm not taking the vaccine. Uh, we don't know when the light at the end of this tunnel is coming. However, we do know that our church has been through very tough places in the past. Uh, our church weathered the 1918 flu pandemic, which, which we're told is worse than the COVID-19 pandemic. So having been through those tough places, that gives us courage to look to the future, not with fear, but with faith, trusting that God isn't finished with the witness of our church in a lost and hurting world. So this morning, I want to do two things. I want to look to the past and look to the future. It sounds simple enough, right? The past, we can know with confidence because we've already experienced it. You can look at that website we created, and you can see some of the very real experiences of people in the past. The future, however, we can trust, not because we've experienced it, but we trust with faith because we absolutely know who holds the future. So this morning, as we begin this conversation, I would ask you to open your Bibles to Isaiah 51. Isaiah chapter 51. In Isaiah 51, God is calling the remnants of faithful Israelites Again, it's been a difficult season for the nation of Israel as the prophets so often bore witness to the challenges that Israel faced. And so the prophet is speaking to those faithful members of the Israelite community who have remained true. He wants to encourage them in the midst of their own difficult season. And so this morning, since we find ourselves in the midst of a difficult season, may we find some comfort in the prophet's words as well. If you got your Bible, please stand with me as we read God's Word together from Isaiah chapter 51. I'll be reading verses 1 through 3. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion, he comforts all her waste places, and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving in the voice of song. God, we are thankful for the encouragement 
of the prophet. We ask your blessings as we, this morning, consider the quarry from which we were dug. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. My family used to live uh, a little over a mile from a, a very active rock quarry. And most of the time, the, the quarry was hidden. It was hiding behind tall trees. They had done a pretty good job of making sure that the quarry was not too visible. You couldn't see the, the, the hole that was there in the earth unless you looked from a satellite picture. The only reminder that we had that there was a quarry there was the dump truck traffic that came in and out of the gates hauling gravel and stone from the quarry. However, from time to time, we were reminded that there was a quarry there because of the very loud boom that would shake the foundation of the house as they detonated some kind of explosive to gather more stone from the quarry. However, we found that in spite of the trucks, in spite of the explosions, that the quarry most of the time was just a forgettable fixture there in our community. I think that that's what we want from our rock, rock quarries. We want them to be forgettable. We don't want to see them. They are most of the time an eyesore for us. However, in Isaiah chapter 51, the prophet calls the people to remember their quarry. You see, the, the quarry represents our past. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. You know, one of the things the Old Testament does a really outstanding job of is it regularly reminds its readers of the historical facts that got them to their current location. They're reminded on a, on a regular basis about the journey that the nation of Israel took. And that, that's a powerful reminder for us today that it is, a, it is a foolish people, it is a foolish nation, it is a foolish church that forgets its history. You even see this worked out through the pages of the Old Testament. When somebody forgot where they came from, it usually didn't work out all that well. One of the, one of the greatest examples of this, I think, is found in Exodus chapter 1. It's there's the story of, 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 of Israel there in Egypt and the process from which they went from being the the, the powerful presence there in the land to being the, the bane of Pharaoh's existence. And Exodus chapter 1, verse 8 explains it very well. It says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. There, there arose a king who did not know his history. There arose a king who had chosen to ignore the reality of their journey. It took a few generations to get there, but eventually there arose a Pharaoh that didn't know that that was that Egypt or that Israelite fellow that saved the nation, that delivered the nation from, from certain devastation as a result of famine. It was that Israelite kid who, who rescued not just Egypt, not just Israel, but really the whole Mediterranean in his, in his plan to deliver them from famine. Well, because of that, he began to act in a way that brought them tremendous harm and harm to that nation. Now, we could take this in a couple of different directions. We could certainly talk about the danger 
posed to a nation that chooses to forget its history. But on this occasion, I think it's wise for us as the church to maintain a solid historical perspective, both the good and the bad. I've spent a lot of time over the last few weeks looking at old historic documents from our church, from pictures of mission trips, records of people being called into ministry, found marriage announcements in newspaper clippings of people who were celebrating their 50-plus wedding anniversary. It's been remarkable to go back and just see the journey and see the story of so many people, so many who have gone on before us. I found pictures of note-burning ceremonies where the church celebrated paying off its debts. I found baby dedication photos of men who've now been ordained to serve as deacons. All of this represents a legacy that's absolutely immeasurable. Larry said it in his greeting, imagine the people that are in heaven as a result of the ministry of this church. Not everything in 150 years is a happy story, though. As I said earlier, there's uh, business meeting minutes from 1947. Some may remember what was going on, but I don't know that I want to know what was going on in 1947. There was a fight going on. People were resigning. There was something like 23 or 24 people in that business meeting that requested their letter of dismissal. Translate that, that would be the equivalent of 23 or 24 of y'all standing up and saying, peace out, we're done. In today's vernacular, of course. We've had 43 pastors in 150 years. Not every one of those men left in good graces. For some, for some even in the room today, past conflicts are still very real in your mind. However, I do believe that it is foolish if we choose to forget either the good or the bad. If we forget the good, then we develop a kind of chronological snobbery. What do I mean by that? that? That's where we think our generation is better than every generation that's come before us. Where we think we're smarter and we know more and we've got it better figured out than everybody who's gone on before us. Previous generations have nothing to offer. And quite honestly, if you feel that way, you are as wrong as can be. At the same time, if we forget the bad, then we're most certainly guaranteed to repeat it. If we forget the mistakes that were made 50 years ago or 20 years ago, for crying out loud, if we forget the mistakes that were made 10 years ago, we are almost guaranteed to repeat those errors again at some point in time in our future unless the next generation sees the arguments and says, I don't want to be part of church at all. And instead of repeating our mistakes, we've simply emptied the church of anybody that might come after us. I'm honored to be able to serve as pastor during this particular season, but I understand that I stand on the shoulders of 43 others. The plaque had my name on it. I told them I was a little irritated they put my name on it because I didn't get us here. I just get to be here right now. So the quarry represents our past, but the quarry also represents God's promises. Look at verse 3. For the Lord comforts Zion, he comforts all her waste places, he makes her wilderness like Eden, her, gar her, her desert like the garden of the Lord. 
Isaiah promises that this faithful remnant of God's future comfort, that God will provide and care for them at some time in the future. In spite of the judgment that the nation was experiencing, the reality is, is that God was not finished with them yet. Isaiah, of all the prophets, understood that out of the nation of Israel, God was going to bring about the redemption of the human race. When we look at the past, we can't help but see that God was faithful then, and He isn't finished yet. The nation of Israel constantly experienced that, that God was faithful in the past, and He promised of His faithfulness in the future. Church, in God's good providence, He has seen fit to allow Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church to maintain a faithful gospel witness in this community. However, we are living in a day and time where as many as 5,000 churches are closing in our country each and every year. We need to understand that God doesn't need Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. God doesn't need our, our presence here. But what we do know is that God has been pleased to use our church in the past, and He continues to use this church today. That's what our history tells us. When you look to the quarry, you can't help but see that God has been busy using our church for His good. I'll tell you anecdotally, it's true in my life. God used this church to help an 18-year-old kid get his ducks in a row. I could have walked into any church, but God saw fit to choose this church. And for that, I am forever grateful. The quarry represents God's promises. But thirdly, the quarry represents God's purposes. Look at the last part of verse 3. He says, joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of song, it's a picture of worship. Undoubtedly, when Isaiah uses this analogy of a quarry, I imagine that his original audience thought back to the building of Solomon's temple. They didn't have a need for quarries like we do today where we just blow stuff up and get the gravel out of it. When they had a quarry in that day, that quarry had a very specific purpose in mind. Oftentimes, they would create a quarry with a building project in mind. And so if you wanted to build a, a temple or build a palace or build a structure, you would find a quarry, uh, a suitable uh, source for rock nearby because they didn't have dump trucks and flatbeds to move the rocks. And so they would find a quarry nearby that would facilitate the construction of whatever it is that they were building. And so undoubtedly this audience is thinking about Solomon's temple and the quarry that was used to make Solomon's temple. Archaeologists believe they found that quarry. In 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 7, we're told something amazing about the construction of Solomon's temple. We're told that the stones that were used in his temple were prepared at the quarry so that when they were brought to the site, they were already cut and ready to be set into place. We're told there that a tool, you could not hear a tool be used in the construction of the temple. It was a sacred thing. I mean, I've been involved in, in little minor construction projects with Baptists before. Man, we ain't scared to make noise. Uh, you know, get the hammers out, the saws out. You know, we'll tear it down, but rebuild it. I mean, we'll, it, we're not afraid to make noise. Uh, however, in Solomon's temple, it was a, re a sense of reverence. They didn't make noise in that process. These stones were measured and cut at the quarry and set in place with absolute perfection. The precision of such an operation is absolutely mind-blowing. 
I, I think about projects that I do at home that, that if I start a project, I'm guaranteed three trips to Home Depot. Like, one, to get all the stuff I think I need. Two, to get the stuff that I needed that I didn't know that I needed. And three, to get the stuff to fix what I broke in the process. And then sometimes four, if I've got to take back anything that I got that I didn't actually need. Precision and me don't go hand in hand. However, I think about this, these stones that were cut to precision and then set in place. These stones were cut with a purpose. And they fit in the purpose perfectly. Isaiah's words here in verse 3 point to a future hope in which Eden is restored, where there is worship, where there is gladness. And this gets to the heart of God's great purpose. That purpose is only realized through Christ and his church. Jesus did not go about this alone. Jesus commissioned his church to be part of the process. Jesus commissioned Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church and churches just like us throughout time and history to be part of God's great redemptive plan. God commissioned this church with a purpose in mind exactly for what he wanted it to be. You see, Isaiah's words of comfort here for Israel, they do not allow for a status quo. There was progress to be made, work to be done. If the desert was going to bloom, if there was going to be joy and gladness and thanksgiving, they had to make sure that their lives were aligned with God's design and God's good plan. Church, as we look to the quarry from which we were dug, we do so understanding that the stone was cut not in some haphazard, reckless fashion, but with great intentionality. At the quarry beside my house, they used explosives and heavy equipment. It wasn't very intentional to make gravel. They weren't cutting marble out for fine statues. They weren't mining granite for your kitchen counter. You see, when God calls us to remember the quarry, he's calling us to remember our past, and by doing so, to remember our purpose. I don't believe that purpose has changed in 150 years. I don't believe that purpose has changed at all in 150 years. I think the execution of that purpose has changed. The means by which we accomplish the purpose have certainly changed. The packaging has certainly changed, even as you compare the little old church that used to sit on the, where the cemetery is now versus this beautiful building that, that we are in today. But the purpose has not. It's still the Great Commission. It's always been the Great Commission. And it will be the Great Commission until Jesus brings everything to a fitting close. What does the church do when we look to the rock from which we were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug? You find our past. You find God's promises. But you also find God's purpose. There is a caution, however, on a day like today. As important as it is for us today to remember this 150-year-old quarry, we do need to tread very carefully. 
To help us understand it, you turn over to the New Testament to one of the most well-known passages in Matthew chapter 16. It's a passage you know very well. You may have it memorized. But it helps to bring light to our modern concept of, of, this, of this quarry today and helps to, to point us in a right direction. It help us, helps us to, to focus our attention where our attention needs to be. Over in Matthew chapter 16, we, we read these words, beginning in verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he, is, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they said some. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's a common question that is still asked to this day. Who's Jesus? And to be clear, the answer hasn't changed since the day that Jesus asked it here of his disciples. Peter answered it. Our, our founders answered it 150 years ago. In church, we better still answer it the exact same way. You are Christ, the Son of the living God. However, Jesus' response is what I want us to consider. He says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Roman Catholics read this, and they got a pope out of it. However, when we read this, we realize that Jesus isn't talking about Peter as the rock on which he builds his church. He's talking about the declaration of Peter as the rock on which he builds his church. It was upon that declaration that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that Jesus promises to build his church. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. Oh, you, are, you are Peter, and, and on this rock I will build my monument. We like monuments. Monuments help us remember. Monuments tell our past. But Jesus isn't building a monument that celebrates the accomplishments of a previous generation. Jesus doesn't say, on this rock I will build my museum. We like museums. Museums are interesting. They teach us. We learn much from museums. However, Jesus isn't building an archive filled with artifacts and priceless treasures to teach people who they used to be. Notice Jesus did not say, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my mausoleum. Jesus is not building a building to hold the bones of a former generation. Instead, Jesus says, On this rock... I build my church. 
The New Testament would later describe it as his body, his hands, his feet, in a world that desperately needs to know him. And every subsequent generation is part of that building, part of that process by which this declaration that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God that has been made by men and women from across the street to around the globe, it's only brought to them through the witness of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is not building a mausoleum. Jesus is not building a museum. Jesus is not building a monument. Jesus is building his church. And Chattanooga Valley, you have been part of it for 150 years. But listen to me. You don't get to stay in the quarry. You know, one of the dangers of remembering the past is that in our nostalgia, we can forget our current reality. For a church that's been around for 150 years, we can long to relive the memories of what used to be. We can express thanks for those faithful men and women who've gone on before us. But in reflecting on what used to be, we need to pay attention to the road that we are currently driving on. We don't want to be like I was with the kids earlier, where we're busy looking through memories of yesterday, completely oblivious to what's sitting directly in front of us. It's good to remember the memories of yesterday. It's good to relive times gone by. But we mustn't do so at the expense of the here and now. Because if we're not careful, our nostalgia can become an idol that takes away our attention from the very real purpose of the church today. God is building his church, not his monument, not his museum, not his mausoleum. And the church is living. The church is moving. The church is God's vessel for taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. The church is not designed to sit and soak and sulk in yesterday, but to look forward to an exciting future in which the Lord Jesus Christ comes and we join with him in the air, celebrating the completion of the task which he set before us. That's our goal. That's our call. That's our job every single day. 150 years. I hope Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church doesn't survive to be another 150 years old. Not because I want the church to die, but because I want Jesus to come and take us all home. However, if the Lord tarries, we have to ask a very important question. What are we doing today? As this generation that exists right now in 2020, what are we doing today? today to build Jesus' church. And not corporately, what is the church doing as a whole? Because this gets down on a personal level, and it demands that each and every single one of us ask this question personally. What are we personally doing today to build Jesus' church?
to ensure that this church thrives for as long as the Lord tarries. And that gets to the heart of our relationships with those who don't go to our church. Our relationships with people who are lost and unchurched. And, and it gets to the heart of, of the question, are we inviting those that don't know the Lord? Are we sharing our faith with those who don't know the Lord? Are we working to make sure that those who don't know the Lord understand that there's a church that cares for them and wants to reach them with the gospel? It gets to the heart of, of our relationships with one another. And, and in spite of the fact that COVID-19 has resulted in a, a coldness within the relationships in the body, we, we've had to distance for way too long. We've not been able to do life together. Our Sunday school classes have not been able to meet in their normal fashion. Too many people have stared at video screens far too long trying to understand how to interact with the person on the other side of the screen. All of that has gone on for far too long. And it has altered and affected the way we relate to one another. We've got to get back to community. And when the doors are open and the ropes are gone and the decrees are lifted and the church can regather again, we've got to make it a priority to reconnect with one another, to pray for one another, to serve one another, to love one another, to reconnect with the body of Christ in a way that, quite honestly, our church probably hasn't seen in decades. We've got to get there again. Otherwise, Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church may not be here for the next 10 years, much less 150 if we don't have the body, if we don't have the relationships within the body, then all we've got is a country club here on Nick and Jack Lane. And I don't think he called us to build a country club either. So are we inviting unchurched friends and neighbors? Are we praying for one another, loving one another, serving one another, looking forward to the day when we can do life together in a way that holds us accountable and deepens our relationship? And lastly, are we forgiving one another? Are we forgiving one another? In 150 years, there's been a lot of, a lot of fusses, a lot of bickering. I bet the church has split a time or two. The world out here knows what bickering looks like. The world out here knows what anger and animosity looks like. The world out here knows what grudges and a lack of forgiveness looks like. There ought to be a difference in here than there is out there. And, and again, it gets personal here. Not corporately, but personally. Personally, have you extended forgiveness to those with whom you have grief? Personally, have you reached out to those with whom you've been in conflict to set right that which is wrong? Personally, have you connected with that brother or sister that you've been angry with for just a little too long? Jesus says to the prophet Isaiah, look to the rock when you were, you were hewn Look to the quarry from which you were dug. Think about 
that rock. And consider today the rock of Jesus' declaration and the means by which his church is built today. Would you pray with me, please? God, we're grateful for 150 years. The stories that could be told, the celebrations that have happened, the joy that people have experienced. All mingled with seasons of hardship and trial and struggle. And so God, help us to, to heed the prophet's words, to not forget our past, but that we would not dwell there. We would not remain in the quarry, that we would understand that there is a purpose and a calling and a goal in mind, and that we would keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Even while we consider our past, even while we consider the, the heroes that have gone on before us, let us not become so nostalgic that we lose sight of the goal that's been set before us. We are only here today because the generation before us saw a goal and worked towards the goal. And so God, today I pray that you would help each one of us, both in the room, those who are listening at home, that you would help each one of us keep our eyes on the goal and that we would personally work to see to it that we continue to build the church here at 90 Nick and Jack Lane. And though, Lord, we pray that you would return soon. If you do tarry, we ask that in 150 years that our descendants might look back at us and that they would give thanks for our faithfulness. They would give thanks for our commitment to the gospel and that they would give thanks for our witness in this community. God, we thank you again for your faithfulness, for your promises, and for the purpose you've set before us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.